Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. Happy New Year. Here we go, 2019. You ready? Even if you're not, it's too late. You're already here. So this week, we begin a new series called The Blessed Life. In Genesis, uh, the first book in the Bible, God speaks about creation and then he says he blessed the man and the woman. So we're going to be talking about the blessed life uh, for the next four weeks. I'm excited about it. Um, we also have a book that I'd encourage you to go online and purchase. It's by Robert Morris, who's the pastor of Gateway Church in Texas. And this book is entitled The Blessed Life. We actually, uh, some of you may remember, 11 years ago, we had a series where we focused on Uh, this subject 11 years ago, and it was eight weeks. So this year we won't do eight weeks. We're going to do just four weeks. So uh, I'd love for you to go online, read The Ford, which is by James Robinson, and uh, it's really good. So I'm going to set this off to the side, but uh, if you get the book, it'll help you as we go through uh, the four weeks. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the blessed life, what you intended for all of us. May we live the blessed life in 2019. Open our hearts and our minds so that we receive you and by faith we respond. Amen. Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said these words. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that he expressed that, that there is a relationship between your heart and your treasure. Um, As we talk about the blessed life, um, this is really going to be an act of our faith and participating uh, together with God. Uh, 11 years ago when we did this series, The Blessed Life, uh, we talked about a subject that is widely discussed, money. Everybody say money. 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 When you talk about money, particularly in the church context, This is one of the places where we ought to talk about it. Jesus spoke 38 parables, some on prayer, some on other things, but most of them were about money. Uh, Very interesting. You ought to go back and read them all. Uh, The issue isn't money. The issue is really our heart toward God when we talk about money. Um, For many years, I was reluctant to talk about it, and we rarely have series about it because I'm sensitive to a culture that sometimes voices something that God doesn't voice. Um, What I mean by that is I was reticent to speak about money in a church worship setting because, like you, I hear people say, pastors, all they do is talk about money. That's all they want. So I said, well, if that is the belief that people have about pastors, guess what? I won't talk about it. So I don't. Because I never wanted to be someone who misrepresents God or sort of lumped with the those who, in their communication, in their way of living, is an abuse to it. However, I had to repent because God said, if I talk about it, why don't you? Okay, that's kind of hard to argue against. And I talk about it a lot. Why don't you? Ah, well, Lord. And then you start offering your excuses. And then he says, well, who are you accountable to? Those who don't want to hear about it. Those who want to hear about it, or me, I'm accountable to you. All right, so 
Uh, for those of you, this is your first Sunday, and you're going, I knew it. I knew he was going to talk about money. <laughs> I haven't in about 11 years. <laughs> you picked the right Sunday to come. Yeah. Stay along for the ride for four weeks. It's, it's so much more than how we think about money uh, wherever you are in the world, right? So here, dollars, someplace else, it's called something else, but it's all God's. And I want to know and have his heart for it. I don't think I have most of my life. Um, Our family didn't grow up having wealth. Um, And I differentiate wealth from riches. There are a lot of people who are rich but are not wealthy. There are rich who live from paycheck to paycheck. Wealth is not requiring a paycheck. That's one just to think about. Um, So, Lord, help us to have your heart in this moment. In Genesis uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, I want us to look at this passage together. And be encouraged. Genesis is the first book in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. And in it, we have a significant moment that my hope will encourage us and God would use it to convict us and help us to respond to him. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Genesis 4 takes place post the fall of man. Um, I would love the experience of life pre the fall of man. Remember when God created the heavens and earth and he said, let there be light. And he said, it's good. Day two. Good. Day three, he created. At the end of it, he said, it's good. Day four, day six, good. Day seven, he rested from all his work and said, it's all very good. We use the word good today, but it's relative to our experience. I would love to know what good looks like when God started everything. Adam and Eve, the first man, first woman, were blessed by God and initially had no experience of that which is now common to all humanity. They lived in the garden where there was no decay. No decay. 
Um, the fruit was fresh the first day, the second day, a week later, a month later, no decay. I love that. There was no sin. There was no death. Sin and death had not entered the world. There was no lying. There was no mistrust. Can you imagine what that relationship must have been like that they enjoyed with God? But that's really good. I mean, that's really good. There was never a moment where they said to one another, I don't believe you. Have you ever said that to your friend or spouse or somebody? Or you didn't trust them? None of that was present. Nothing. Uh, There was no need for the Environmental Protection Agency. It, It was all good. I don't know what that looks like. In my imagination, as much as I enjoy that I have an active one, I can't perceive what that would be like. I I would love to live in a place like that. Wouldn't you? So it's important to understand that when we talk about God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's the same pre-fall as he is post-fall of man. He didn't change. We did. Our nature became corrupt. Our environment became corrupt. Things began to decay. Now the aging process for all human beings looks a lot different. Can you imagine Adam and Eve, I don't know, pick a number. Because in those days, they lived long. In fact, they lived to be more than 900-some years of age. But just imagine them sort of at mm, 327 years old, looking like a 27-year-old. Okay, 2019. Eve never woke up and thought, I need to get my face right. Let me get some mascara, some foundation. There was no makeup. She looked the same every single day, didn't need a mirror. Adam just was strong. He didn't have a gut. I'm just saying. They were physical specimens. They were emotional specimens. They were spiritual specimens. They were peaking. And and they used the full capacity of the brain. We're told today by science we use less, the, the brightest among us, the Einsteins of the world and all the other great ones, even of them it said they use less than 10%. So what is a human being looking like at full capacity? You, what, what, what's the communication like between a man and a woman? There's no misunderstanding. There's no need to explain yourself. You speak the same language. Today, men and women, as I said before, we both speak English, but we do not speak the same language. Now you have to learn woman. Now you have to learn. If you're a man, you have to learn woman. If you're a woman, you have to learn man. We don't speak the same language. Everybody know that, right? You do know that. If you don't, you will find out. It's, it's, it's true. It's true. It's very true. We don't. We we use the same vocabulary, but the intent and meaning is different. If a man says, I'm tired, what he really means is, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm just saying. If a man goes into a store and says, I need to get one thing, what he means is, one thing. If a woman says, I need to get one thing, forgive me, women. 
I have a wife. I have four daughters. I live in that world. I'm generalizing. There are people in my house who don't even like shopping, who are female. So don't hold it against me if you don't know me yet. I live in the sea of estrogen. I live in the girls' dorm. And I love it. I love it. I, I understand women just by virtue of proximity to having four little girls grown up and the baby's now 18 and they go up to their 20s and I've heard their conversations their entire life. So I get it a little bit, just a little bit. Not it, but I get it because I hear it. And I hear it like, men, we don't talk like that. First of all, we take turns. We don't all speak simultaneously. <laughs> it just, they look at me like, you good? Like, I just need to step away for a second. I need to hear one person at a time. But usually when a woman goes, not usually, sometimes, how many women love shopping? Just raise your hand if you do. Sometimes when a woman goes shopping and she wants one thing, what she means is, and the guy is flustered, frustrated. He's like, you said one thing. I got one thing. One thing for you. One thing for me. One thing for your mom. One thing for the kids. I got one thing for, oh, you, that's what, so, and, and then he goes through it again. He's like, if I knew it was going to take two hours, I wouldn't have stopped. I said we had time to get one thing, but we didn't have time to get one thing for everybody. Am I helping anybody? This is, Adam and Eve didn't have that issue. Eve said, you want to get some fruit? Yeah, let's get some fruit. They went for a walk. They picked the fruit. They ate it. It was it. No complaining. No issues. They had no marital issues. Zero. Every day she said, you my man. Every day he said, you my woman. It just was good. Good. It was good. God called that good. What we call good is, is not that good. Because the Bible says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. They were experiencing the glory of God. We don't without faith and not in the same way. Are you with me? So when they had children, which God said, Eve, your offspring will crush the head of the enemy, meaning Satan, the serpent. She heard that and it encouraged her. It encouraged Adam. And they probably saw their firstborn son, Cain, as the fulfillment of what God said. But it wasn't Cain, it would be Jesus. So they're raising two boys. They had other kids. Seth came later. Their daughters, their names aren't mentioned. They had lots of kids. Uh, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if they had 20, 25, 30 kids, right? If you go back far enough in our country, everybody had lots of kids. Today, if you have more than three people, like, wow, wow. In this church, lots of people have lots of kids. There are pregnant women on the front row. Not my wife, but there are pregnant <laughs> Hashtag be clear. She has given me the memo. Done. Um, if you think a woman's pregnant, you don't know, don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> Saying that for everybody who doesn't know, um, that's free. Can't imagine what it was like in the garden. You didn't have to figure out what shoes you're going to wear today because nobody wore shoes. You can't even process it. But here they have two sons who are growing up. They did not grow up in the same environment that their parents grew up in. Because their parents sinned, and because sin and death entered the world, they were born with sinful natures. The kids were born not knowing the good that their parents had experienced. The parents could only tell them about the garden. They mean, could only tell them about it. And the kids were like, really, it was like that? And it would take faith for them to believe. And we don't know, I don't know how the process of 
keeping God first in their lives first was expressed with giving, with their resources, with their wealth, with their, if you will, in our time, money. But this is the first record in Scripture of worshiping God, giving to God out of what you've received from Him. So just so you know, in our church, we do practice worshiping God by giving to God because he himself is a giver with what is called the tithe and also offering. The tithe literally means the first tenth. The first tenth. That's important. It doesn't just mean the tenth. It is the first tenth. If you were to take your annual income and you were to divide it by ten, the tenth tenth the ninth, tenth, the eighth, tenth, seventh, tenth, sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second, first. All of it because you've received it from the Lord, even though you earned it through work, according to the gift that he gave you in order to be a blessing to other people. That's, that's why you work, to, to give expression to the gifts and talents God gives you for the benefit of others. And the part of income that he gives you that you work for is called what we call your salary or your earnings or compensations, although income is much more than salary. Income is everything at God's disposal that he can give to you at any time he wants. Have you ever received something from God that you didn't work for? You didn't work for mercy. You, 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 didn't, you, didn't, you didn't work for oxygen. That's just given. So your income far exceeds that little piece of paper you get, whether it's direct deposit or however you get it. That's a fraction. That fraction just represents the part that God says you work and share. Put your gift out and be a blessing to other people. So of that, all of it belongs to God because the gift to earn it comes from him. But he established something that says the first tenth, not the second or third, but the first tenth belongs to God. And we'll see scriptures over the course of this month that emphasize how the first belongs to him. And so what can happen, though, is you can get in the process of giving the tithe. Now, the offering would be anything above 10%. So if, if you make $1,000 then a hundred of it would be the tithe. The hundred and first dollar that you give to God isn't tithe. That's now offering. That's above. That's beyond it. And it's very interesting. Rob Morris in his book opens up about his early days being um, a young evangelist with he and his wife. And they had a station wagon. They would travel anywhere in the country almost to go preach. And his compensation was, was minimal. He mentions the amounts in the, in the book of where it was. And he tells us one story about going into a gas station to fill up as they were heading to a place to minister. And when he walks into the gas station, uh, after he fills his car with gas, he goes to pay for it. And the woman there at the counter says, it's already taken care of. And he says, well, no, I didn't pay. She says, no, it's already taken care of. And they go back and forth for a little bit. And finally she says, look, when you pulled up, the Lord impressed on my heart that you were an evangelist and that I was supposed to cover it. It's already... So he marks that as a moment where God wanted to teach him something about giving. He said that was just the beginning of it. Then he goes to a meeting, and um, there, I think they needed like something like $800 a month to maintain, you know, cover all their expenses, etc. And it took multiple speaking engagements in a month for him to get to $800 to cover all their expenses for he and his wife. And he says um, one month it was really, really tight. And he had one speaking engagement only. And he's like, well, we'll, we'll God's going to help us. We'll have to provide. He preaches. And then he gets an envelope. And the Lord just impressed on his heart, I've got you. You're taking care of me. He opens the envelope. And it's a single check for $800. 
an entire month's uh, living expenses given to him in a single offering, which had never happened before, and he rejoiced. Then, moments later, um, God says, I want you to give it to the missionary <laughs> who you heard get up and speak that said they were going on a mission trip, and they need exactly $800. And he thought at that moment, paraphrase, he was not as excited to give it as he was to receive it. <laughs> and by the way, the book is not about the law of sowing and reaping, because there is something that can be in our mindsets, even in the church, that I am going to sow a seed in order to reap a harvest. When the motivation for giving has never been to reap, the that's just the byproduct, that's just the, the outflow, but that can't be the motivation because then your relationship is reduced to something contractual, transactional with God. And that's not what God intended money to be. The, the giving is, is an act of worship and appreciation and thanks. Whether I reap onefold, twofold, a hundredfold, or no fold. I'm happy and blessed out of my relationship with you. So he gave it to the missionary, and the missionary's like, oh, I need it exactly that much. He's like, I know. <laughs> he goes out to sit at a table eating with people, and he says, a guy sat at the table and said, um, how much did you get? And he's like, taken aback, like no one's ever asked me what the honorarium was for ministry. And so he didn't want to say, but he was so uncomfortable, he just said it, and it was $800. And he's like, he's like, what'd you do with the check? He's like, uh, I want to see the check. He's like, no, I put it in the car. He's like, go get it. So he goes to his wife, or he goes to his wife. His wife says it's in the car. He says back. And the guy says, no, it's not. You gave the check away, and it was for $800. And he slid a check across the table, and it was 10 times the amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from that moment on, <laughs> right? So from that moment on, it marked his life. See, there are moments in your life that God does something, and it's supernatural, to define something in you. And it was so that he could bring something to God's people about what God intended relationally with us in terms of giving. So much more than just money. But if you're just thinking dollars and cents, we miss God. And in this year, I don't want to miss God. I want to keep God first in my life. And that's really the, the, this, this message this week as we go into next week is about keeping God first in our lives. What does it look like to keep God first in our lives? What does that look like for you? What does it look like to keep God first in, in your life in terms of your career? That, that's, there shouldn't be this bifurcation where God's over here, my career's over here, God bless it. No, no, no. I'm keeping God first in me, in my relationship with him, as it's being expressed in my career, in the money he's given me, in everything. Is he kept first? If you're like me, I don't consciously think of God every second of my day. I do definitely on Sunday, right? But God wanted to walk with us every day. What does that look like to keep him first in our life? The first part of your morning, uh, the first part of your evening, the first part of your everything. What does it look like to keep God first? Now, we'll talk about money, but I'll just, I'll just insert this. Uh, I probably shouldn't. Looking at the clock. This moment with these two brothers who grew up together outside the garden and didn't know what good really looked like, 
Abel had faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 describes it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, you can follow it. It says, by faith. How? By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Hebrews 11.4. Hebrews 11 lists uh, men and women who God regards as having outstanding faith. The book that um, uh, we're going to be working through together as we pray and fast says great faith. And it has the names of men and women who express faith to God so that they might be an encouragement to us that we want to imitate their faith. Uh, When we were kids... We would watch Jordan play basketball, and my brother would actually, um, literally, he got a tape, and he would watch Jordan. He would slow it frame by frame and learn to do his moves, and he was left-handed, and he got to the point where he could do some of the dunks that Jordan did on the playground where we grew up, and we were late teens, early 20s at this point, but, you know, he, he, would, he would have his tongue hang out of his mouth because he saw Jordan have his tongue hang out of his mouth. He would do that whole curl thing, and and he would get up, and, and it was great, you know, so I watched him. But he imitated Jordan, not to become Jordan. There's only one of those. But my whole point is Abraham, Sarah, all these were not to become them, but their faith is to be an example which you slow down frame by frame and begin to imitate. So we should not imitate Cain's example, but Abel's example. And to imitate his example requires faith. It's the only way you step into what Abel did. It says that Cain, or that Abel, offered a... Better offering than Cain. Now, first thing to note, both boys were raised in a household where they were taught it was important to give to God, to worship God, because they both were offering to God. That's the encouraging part. They're both offering to God. They're both presenting gifts to God. Isn't that great? But why is it that the scripture says that Abel offered or gave a better offering than Cain. What made it better? Did God prefer with Abel sheep or, you know, whatever the livestock was, over grain? Is that what made it better? I don't think so because as you walk throughout Israel's history, you see God saying, it's honorable for you to come to me with all kinds of offerings, Uh, burnt offerings, sin offerings, animal offerings, grain offerings. So they're all honorable. So it's not like it's the type versus another type, right? Steak versus chicken or you know, greens growing from the ground. We don't think that's it. Was it better because of their age? or No, we don't think that's what it is. If you read the text closely, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Now, we don't even think it's vocation that God favored farmers and, you know, over shepherds. Um, That wouldn't stand a reason because What God called to Adam, we see on Cain's life. Keep the garden. Genesis 2.15. In fact, let's look at this. In Genesis 2.15, before the fall, it says that God took the man uh, and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So it was God's heart to actually have us cultivate and keep uh, the garden or keep land. I think the true garden that needs to be cultivated and kept today is our own heart. We need to cultivate a heart that keeps God first. We have to keep God first in our heart, right? And that word keep is to guard, to watch, to, to, to be intentional about, uh, maintaining the condition of. It's very intentional. So if it's not grain versus goat, if it's not uh, something versus something else, what is it? I think here's what it is. Again, in 
the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil. But when you look at Abel, it says Abel, Abel in his offering, he brought the firstborn, some of the firstborn of his flock. What is notably absent is that when Cain made his offering, it wasn't the first of his harvest. Don't know what, whether it was second, third, but it wasn't the first. With Abel, it was the best and it was the first. So when he had his lamb, he's like, this is the first firstborn. I'm offering it to God. And he prepared it. And it says that God looked on Abel and on Abel's offering. Didn't just look on his offering, looked on the man, looked on the woman, if you will, and their offering with favor. Anybody here want God to look on you and your offering with favor? With regard to Cain, he did not look on Cain or his offering with favor. And I believe it's for this reason primarily. Cain somehow did not keep God first in his heart. But Abel kept God first in his heart. When God is kept first in our heart, the expression of him being first shows up in everything. It shows up in how we steward the wealth we have. He means that much to me. As we were singing and worshiping this morning, there's only one word that comes to mind. There's only one word that can describe holy. There's a heart that's filled with you are my treasure. And as a result of you being my treasure, my heart's there. And everything I have puts you first. Lake, make it plain. You know, when... I was drawn by God to this woman on the first row. We had not gone out. We hadn't had a moment alone, but we'd been together in small groups. But there was one moment where in my heart, she stood apart from every other woman. And I believe with conviction that I was inspired by God to pursue her as being my wife. Talk to my pastor about it. Talk to my family about it. Um, she was, and then I talked with her about it. Now, that was not my manner of relating with young women prior to Christ. Didn't talk to God. Didn't talk to my family. Just talked to her. Quiet, but I know other people know that experience. And when I felt like God said yes, felt like my pastor thought, this is good, I think, you know, and, and so then, uh, and my pastor helped me. He said, you don't, she's still a student. You don't know. I mean, you could rock her world. Because what I said to my pastor is, I love Marianne, and I want to marry her. I was 22 or something like that. And, and I love 22-year-olds. <laughs> I do. I got one. I got one. I got an 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 22-year-old. 20, I got one. Did you think differently at 22? I did. I knew it was God. I was like, whoo, she's going to be my wife. <laughs> Hadn't even talked to her at all. I just told my pastor, I'm in love. I want to marry her. He's like, okay. I believe it's God's will. I said, okay, if it's God's will today, it'll probably be God's will next week. <laughs> probably be God's will next month, too. You slow the horses down. But the reason why I said it is like, and I'm going to go tell her right now, but I want to tell you first. Like, wait, wait, church just ended. She's a student. If you just walk up to her and say, will you marry me? That's probably not going to go over the way you think. 
how do you know she'll say yes? I'm like, why would she say no? It's God. It's like, slow down, slow down. By the way, we have marriage prep courses. We have all kinds of things in this church to help you. Young man, don't tell every young lady she looks nice in that skirt or dress because it means something to her that you may not intend. Women, I'm so sorry. We just, it takes us a while to grow up. It really does. Just be patient. Wait on the Lord while you're waiting on us. You were born with two dolls, a male and a female. We were born and played with a truck and nobody was riding shotgun. And when they did, it was G.I. Joe. It wasn't a female. It just, there were no females in our toys when we played with army men and race cars. There were no women in our world. We're just slow. We're slow. What's wrong with my man? He's slow. We're slow. Uh, on behalf of all men, if you agree, just, you know, I'm trying to give you some points, help you, let you some understanding. But my heart, she had become first in my heart above all women. And she was on the worship team, and I was on the worship team. So I, I, I thought, how can I allow my family, because my family wasn't at the church, how can I allow my family to know my heart for this woman uh, and have them really share my heart without it being awkward and weird. So I invited the whole worship team to my home because she's on the worship team. Ah, I'm getting wiser as I get a little bit older. 23 now. <laughs> and I cooked for everybody. Now, I'm not in the habit of cooking, um, but I do like to eat. So Because I knew she was coming, I went down on the wharf in D.C. And I... <laughs> Translation, amen. I picked out uh, the best tuna I could find. Not tuna in a can. I'm talking about the, the tuna you catch out the water. And, and the guy was there, and I was like, no, this one, that one. And I was looking for the best tuna. No tuna would do. I want the best tuna. And I made uh, spoon bread. And I took the tuna home, and I marinated it for a couple of days. And so that when you taste it, the flavor was all the way to the center. And I took my time. I made sure the spoon bread was not overcooked, not undercooked. We had applesauce, which I didn't know she loved, and all this other stuff. And the whole worship team is sitting there. And, and uh, can I tell the applesauce story? No? It's fine. So I, I came up like, anybody like any applesauce? And Marianne said no. And her best friend said, Marianne, you know you love applesauce. Why are you acting like you don't love applesauce? <laughs> She already had me in her heart, but I didn't know it. So for a year, she believed that I was supposed to be her husband. And for a year, she kept it to herself. Never winked her eye at me. Never like, God speaking to you. There was, there was none of that. She just trusted God. If it's God, he'll come to me. So she didn't expect me to come when I did. So it was a surprise. It was my best but it wasn't about the tuna. It wasn't about the spoon bread or anything else. It wasn't about preparing the home. 
it was she's the one who my heart is foremost. And it drew out of me my first and my best. What is being drawn out of you that is your first and your best toward him? That it's obvious to God. It's obvious to you. It's obvious to everyone. You are first in my life. And when Abel came to prepare his offering before God, and whatever he was preparing, it doesn't say, but we know it was from his flock, the firstborn, and how he prepared it. I know he took his time, but he wasn't thinking about this. He was like, I hope you're pleased with this offering and you're pleased with me because I'm so pleased with you because you're the best thing in my life. You're the first thing in my life and everything else comes after. Does your giving to God when you give a tithe, tithe, is it a rote saying where, oh, time to hit push pay? Or does it still reflect he's the best? I've done it. I was like, oh, it's time to give offering. And it becomes a perfunctory. This is when you're supposed to buy flowers. This is when you're supposed to get a card. But, but it's the heart for the reason why you got flowers the first time, why you got card the first, why you got chocolate the first time. Do the things you did at first, my wife said to me. Go back and do what you did in the beginning to win me. Let's go back and do what we did in the beginning with God. When he won us, I want to keep him first, not just on the first Sunday of the year. I want to keep him first in my life all year round. I don't want to just preach it on Sunday. Tomorrow morning when I get up, I want to keep him first in my life. Don't you? If you worshiped him today, worship him tomorrow. You can't live off what happened today on a whole week. If you don't tithe at all, what a great moment to begin. If you do tithe, but it's perfunctory, what a great moment to let them adjust your heart and bring you to the place where I'm not just doing this out of a sense of duty. In fact, in one place, God says, I don't even want all your sacrifices. I've had it up to here with it. What I really want is your thanksgiving. That the giving of the offering is just the medium upon which your thanks rides. But if you give an offering and thanks isn't riding on it, it doesn't have the sweet aroma. It's not fully cooked. Father, we thank you. First Sunday of the year, would you help us to keep you first in our lives? Every dime we have is yours. And you said, give me a tenth of it. A tenth. But you never intended to be just some kind of transaction. I paid my tithe. I don't know how we got there. As if we could pay you for anything you've done for us. What we can say is thank you. So I pray for myself, I pray for my wife, my kids, I pray for this church. I pray for the church in this city and our nation. That our hearts would turn back to you. And we would find ourselves 
giving to God as the one who is first in our lives, the one who is best in our lives. Someone may be here this morning and in a moment of clarity and honesty, there's an awareness that he's not first in my life and hasn't ever been. You can begin with the conviction of the Lord. He's not condemning you, but he's convicting you. Say, I want to be first in your life and you be first in mine. If you're here and you want to begin that relationship with him where he's first and best, would you raise your hand? For anybody who needs to start it, hold your hand up high enough so I know. I see a hand over here. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, second group. I have a relationship with him. I've been offering, but I'm learning from Abel's faith this morning. I need to have faith to trust God to be first and know he's going to take care of the rest. If that's you, of him being reinstated as first and best, a love affair with him. Would you raise your hand? Great. Father, I pray for all who raise their hands. Uh, the first group, would you just pray this with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, this afternoon, I come to you saying thank you. And I confess with my mouth and with my heart, your Lord, I believe you. That you died for me. To remove that which separated us from each other. My son, thank you for removing it, making me new, allowing me to be born again. Teach me to follow you first above myself and all others. And to know that when I follow you first, you'll preserve the rest. Amen. Second group, Lord, I thank you. There's not anyone who probably doesn't have room for adjustment in our thinking and in our heart. We just want to be those who repent, really have a change of mind for having other things be first. We haven't kept you. Wherever we haven't kept you first in our life, first in our own lives, first in our occupation, career, job, first in our marriage, first in our sibling relationships, first in our family, our kids, wherever we have come short of keeping you first, would you reignite, set aflame our hearts so that we burn in our hearts with love for you the way we did at the beginning, that we become like we were at the beginning. Oh my God, you are bigger, stronger. We love you and we give you praise. Can we do two things? Give praise from our heart with our mouths and our hands for those who raise their hands in response to giving their lives to Jesus as first and for the adjustment in our own hearts. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.